Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason, first time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre, and how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into big match land, and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Conversations with Saruti. This is your host, Ben Saruti. Uh, I'm of Birds on the Black. You can find me at Twitter uh, or on Twitter at uh, STLFANBC7. Uh, with me tonight for the first time is a uh, fellow South City born man, uh, Dan Buffa. Dan, how are you tonight? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing this from the the basement of a South City home, looking at a uh, that good old fashioned chipped away white rock wall that you just think's gonna one day collapse, but I don't think it ever will. And kind of talking a little baseball with Ben, man. This is good. It's good Friday night. It is a good Friday night. Uh, hopefully, you've got a nice beer in your hand too. While you're and, doing and, 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 and and I also just want to say that I I, th- I think we should just get this out of the way that that is, if you can hear my little ferocious chihuahua in the background, uh, I think we should just put that disclaimer up front. That That's not my, my inner voice barking at the Cardinals. It's just my chihuahua. <laughs> Although, Hey man, lately uh, the way the Cardinals are playing, you might want to <laughs> chirp at them a bit. Um, anyway, so I figure we yeah. could talk a little South city first. So to, to put, to put, to put uh, the, the Cardinals on the back burner for a moment, since they're kind of putting baseball on the back burner themselves at the moment. Um, uh, so growing up South city, I was, uh, I'm sure you know, the area right near Bear, bears garden on Hampton grew up right around there, uh, right near, oh, okay. right near St. Joan of Arc. Um, so, uh, had to be close to Ted Drew's there on Chippewa, close to the Donut Drive-In, which <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure I saw a Facebook or Twitter post of yours about the Donut Drive-In just the other day. Oh, yeah. that's that. I mean, in order to get to my son's school, I have to basically go by that place every morning and, and then in the afternoon right past it again so it just it taunts me about 10 times a week Ooh, that's you dangerous know, so it, it's it's a tor- torturous place <laughs> it is and the dairy queen ben as i was coming home listening to the, the end of this game it was once again backed out on the hampton hampton avenue okay, Paul, I mean, that that dairy queen no yeah. you've got ted drews that close how are you going to dairy queen I, that 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 amazed me growing up how did you ever go into Ted Drew's yeah. on Chippewa when the Baskin Robbins was across the street? How oh yeah, did the, how I mean, did the Baskin just, Robbins last four days? Oh man, what? I mean, and Baskin Robbins is so good, but but it's not Ted Drew's. It is not, and and I always whenever I go by the Dairy Queen now and on. At or, or, and, or um, Eichelberger, as my GPS says, Itchelberger. <laughs> Whenever I go past it now, I have to go 
Clementines and Ted Drews are better. Just a little whisper. And I think I at least lure one car away from the park. But yeah, it's always out into the main street. That is South City never changing. All right. So I've been away from South City for a while. We moved to the county when I was in fifth grade. I I still tried to make it into the city as often as I could. Um, I mean, my dad grew up on the hill. My mom closer to like Bebo Mill. And Mm. now I'm in Kansas City for the last, oh gosh, getting closer to 20 years than I would like to admit. And so lots of things about St. Louis I miss and all that. But, but you brought up GPS and the wonderful uh, sounding out of Eichelberger. Um, how does it pronounce Loughborough? <laughs> I mean, I think she, I think she, she does that a little bit better. It's, it's not like she just rips it off, but I think she does go a Loughborough. Okay. You know, it's almost like it's a lofty base hit. And that's maybe, how she starts. I thought it. maybe she went Loughborough or something like that. Um, <laughs> no, or uh, Gravois. Yeah, there you go. And make a left on Gravois. All right, so let, let's get back to the Cardinals. A uh, little rough, uh, little rough luck tonight, going out to Philadelphia, losing nine to two, and and maybe actually not even rough luck. Uh, Bryce Harper hit two balls that on basically any other night in any other park would have been home runs as well. So it could have been double digits for the Cardinals quite easily, I think. Um, Cardinals not playing great baseball lately, but. Carlos Martinez had a very interesting night to me. He kind of in his post-game presser um, said that it was bad luck. He believes he's starting to pitch better. And to his credit, he threw six innings, or five innings, sorry. He allowed six runs in the second. But uh, basically, I want to say he got the last two guys out in the second and then retired nine straight. So I think he got 11 straight to end his night. He only took 81 pitches to get through five. And that includes that six-run second. Um, in that six-run second, he had at least two balls off the bat that were misplayed, uh, one in left center by Dylan Carlson, um, traveling further back on a ball than he thought he needed to because the wind was ferocious tonight. Um, and then one I missed. Uh, I, I thought I heard Danny Max say, uh, Carpenter misplayed a ball or somebody on the infield. And I don't remember personally. Um, <laughs> but that just kind of extends the streak of starting pitching being a huge question mark right now for this club. Um, you want to riff on that? Yeah. and Yeah. I mean, it just, it just seems like whatever was supposed to go, at least halfway according to plan is not. I mean, and really, that kind of it starts with with, with Flaherty and, and his high pitch counts and and the, a lot of the starters not going deep into games. You mentioned five innings, and it's it really except for the one inning that got that got away. It was a, a great start, but and that's kind of becoming a, a characteristic, whether it was a defensive lapse or not. Over the last, you know, whenever he starts, it's always one bad inning, but. And then people will forget that he strings together those 11 straight outs. So the rotation is just not giving enough innings. And Ben, what I'm worried about with this is, is that, you know, you got a full season. Is the bullpen going to be just worn out by the middle of the season? Because when, you know, when the, when the rotation is not giving you more than maybe five or six, and even that's kind of been kind of a stretch lately. Yeah, you're looking more even four when to things five, are going right? well. Four to five. Is kind of yeah. Cool. Four to five. And, it's like when when they get to a certain point, and you'll think somebody is cruising. And we saw this with the Wainwright start, where 
he seemed to almost be out of an inning, and then a Lane Thomas air extends it, and then that pitch count just gets stacked upon. So, I mean, what do you think, man? Is is a way that how can these guys get the pitch counts down, get be more efficient? So I think for a long time the Cardinals pitchers have wasted pitches a lot more often than than most teams I I get to catch glimpses of. I don't sit down and watch baseball as much as I used to anymore. The four and six year old, and so you know I catch as much <laughs> Cardinals as I can, which means I'm catching one other team every night. And they, the other teams, I feel like don't waste as many pitches as Cardinals pitchers do. Um, I don't know if part of that is just they have such confidence in Yadier Molina to block the ball that they don't mind that pitch being eight inches off the plate instead of six where it might get chased. And and I feel like a lot of pitches get taken for a ball when, when they don't need to exactly. Um, but getting back to the staff as a whole, yeah, you're right. Just four to five innings isn't going to cut it. Not even with what we think is going to be one of the better bullpens in the league, which it very well could be until all of their arms fall apart at the same time. Um, but what's what's scaring me is it, it's it's all the pitchers, and I think part of it is that not only is the starting pitching game plan going down the tubes, that the Cardinals set out to be a top notch defensive team this year, and the last couple years actually, um, the plan coming into the season is Gold Glove potential in center um, with Harrison Bader a gold glove winner in left field with Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson being your worst outfielder as a probably above average right fielder. And right now Dylan Carlson's having to play center field as a maybe slightly above average, maybe average center fielder. And it's worse than him in the corners, even though Justin Williams is playing well, he's playing the best defense I've seen him play. Um, But the gold glove, gold glove calibers aren't there. And when your pitching staff needs as much help as they can get at the moment, they're not getting it. Not only that, but the guys that you expect to hit in the outfield are either on the DL or aren't hitting either. And so that's forced the team into playing a little Matt Carpenter at second uh, and Tommy Edmond in the outfield. And while Edmond, I feel like, has been an above average defensive outfielder despite being an infielder, um, Matt Carpenter has also, according to the advanced stats, been slightly above average or about average at second base this year, but he's not Colton Wong and not even Tommy Edmund. Yeah. And so the injuries to the outfielders are hurting maybe not the offense because O'Neill wasn't hitting and who knows if Bader would have hit or not, but definitely hurting the defense and hurting the pitching staff. Um, and when your pitchers are having trouble going five anyway with the defense, the uh, it gets even worse when you don't have it. Um, and to compound things, you know, the Cardinals aren't hitting either. So that, that's rough. Although yeah. entering tonight, they were scoring five runs a game. And I looked it up earlier today. The, the last Cardinals team to score five runs a game, 2004. So we're talking the best, uh, the best run scoring Cardinals team. I mean, obviously we're only through 12 games before tonight, but if that would have continued for 162, it would have been the best run scoring team in 17 seasons for the Cardinals. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but you know what I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> small sample sizes and all. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it just seems like they, 
Yeah, and it's it's it'll be odd to a lot of people to hear that they they're averaging five runs a game coming into tonight, but they seem to just really get them in bunches, and then they, they they're able to be shut down for a stretch of time. And I think there was a stretch tonight before they scored those two runs, at least when when I was watching it, it reached eighteen innings without a run. I mean, that's just with a team with like, like Arenado and Goldschmidt, and you know even struggling bats like DeYoung and Carpenter, and you know. I think you, you look at this lineup, Ben, and you you the starting lineup tonight. You can just you know poke holes in it. I mean, you have strikeout guys like Carpenter and DeYoung stacked. You have Carlson in the seventh spot, and then you know right now, well, while I love the guy. I mean, Yadier Molina. Do you think he'd be a cleanup hitter on any other team in this league? <laughs> I I don't think there'd be one. So, I mean, everything that was kind of set out to happen: Tyler O'Neill blossoming and left. He hits a speed bump, and then and then he gets hurt. Harrison Bader, who was probably maybe one of the most polarizing Cardinals easily on this roster in the last few years, he's down with a forearm injury. So then, as you just noted, everything's in disarray in the outfield, which has kind of been a black eye for a while on this team. You know, a lot of – we talk about best laid plans. I mean, this is a team that was going to offer Jason Hayward a lot of money. They had put a lot of – dollars and you know and spirit into the idea of Oscar Navarro as possibly being the guy of the future and then tragically that was cut short so I think it just this lineup and the offensive struggles Ben they really just stem from that outfield and it, it, when you look at it like like how do you fix that if Justin Williams can keep hitting and if Bader can come back when if but if you're hinging your if you're putting all your bets on Bader trying to revamp an offense I mean it just where is the hope in this uh in this outfield I, I just it's kind of hard to see unless some things just start to drop yeah so let's talk a little bit more about that hope so first of all let's talk about what's really happening with Tommy Edmond because I think he's been one of the bright spots this year um yes yes Tommy Edmund, exactly his first two games of the year he went one for nine with a walk so he had a 111 batting average, a 200 on base, and a 111 slugging for a 311 OPS after two games. Entering tonight, the previous 10 games, so games three through 12 of the year, he had put together 50 plate appearances, or sorry, 46. Oh, no, so sorry, including tonight. Including tonight makes 50 plate appearances in 11 games. And he's gotten on base in four, uh, 40% of those. Uh, he's gotten on base with 14 hits, four walks. Um, and no, 16 hits, four walks, and he got on base on an error actually too. So, so really just over 40% of the time getting on base over the last 11 days, the last two weeks worth of play or a little bit more uh, or a little bit less. Um, he is really, really picking it up as a leadoff hitter. Um, if you extend those 50 plate appearances over the course of a year, that's what, 600 plate appearances. So, I mean, that would be like 12 doubles, 12 triples, 12 homers. 50-ish <laughs> walks, and he's only struck out five times in those 50 plate appearances. So we're talking That's impressive right strikeouts. there. He's got three steals, so he'd be over 30 steals if he extended that out. I mean, who wouldn't love that, right? Um, and so, very yeah, impressive. Yeah. He's actually up to a 120 WRC plus and a on-base percentage of 367. If you would have told me before the year that, you know, give or take you know, you can take it or leave it. Edmund's going to have a 360 something on base. You, you just say, I'll, I'll take it. I don't care what his slugging is. I don't care what his batting average is. If he's going to lead off and get me 
you know, three steals every 60 plate appearances at 360 something on base, I'll take it, you know? And he, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's really impressive because that's a table setter right there. And that was a question mark. Everybody was, and myself included, was like, oh, Colton Wong's gone. But he's been more than adept at second base defensively. And there he is in the outfield. He seems to be like the new Matt Carpenter. He just does whatever the manager tells him to do. And eventually he just seems to do a decent job at it. You know, I mean, he's just he's kind of a elastic for this Cardinals team because – you look at his last couple seasons and, you know, the strikeouts weren't alarming, but they were definitely higher. He's only got five. He has as many walks as he does strikeouts. I don't think anybody would have been able to call that. That's a very impressive thing, especially for a leadoff guy. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, so speaking of, of guys that are picking it up, uh, Justin Williams, uh, outfielder, we've both mentioned already tonight. Um Justin Williams hit his first home run tonight. So congratulations to Justin Williams. Great job, man. Yeah. It was a line drive out to left field. Uh, Jim Edmonds was kind of saying that that those fly balls were were kind of uh, not really carrying tonight with the wind, but but Williams' line drive may have just snuck over the wall just in time. He did have a 680 uh, expected batting average on that ball. Um, hit at 384 feet, according to StatCast. Um opposite field that that's a pretty good bomb to the opposite field but not only that but Williams also he had a ground out tonight but he also had another fly out earlier in the evening that was hit even lower so more of a line drive also over 95 miles an hour and it had a 350 expected batting average and that's something I want to get into is some expected stats and we're going to talk about expected stats tonight and we're going to talk about some lineup construction tonight um I think this leads in quite well. Justin Williams, after the game, uh, when asked by Katie Wu of The Athletic, um, you know, to to talk about his home run and, and how he was trying to conceal a smile around the bases is how she worded it, I think, um, that Justin Williams basically just said, finally, a ball I hit on the barrel that doesn't get caught. Um, and that seems to be the moral, the, 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 the factor this season that keeps coming back is, the Cardinals seem to be actually hitting the ball fairly well. Tonight, their expected batting average was 283. The Phillies' batting average that was expected tonight, also 283. And yet, the Phillies had three more hits and seven more runs. Um, Justin Williams entering tonight prior to his home run, uh, prior to his one-for-three night with a homer, had an expected OPS of over 800. And yet... His actual OPS was sitting well below that. Um, and so that's kind of a, a big theme for the Cardinals this year. Um, and a big theme around the league, as it always is early in the year. But um, the best podcast in baseball last week, Kevin Wheeler and Derek Gould, discussed a little bit about this as well. And it, it kind of gets down to the question of, how long do you wait to make changes in the lineup? And what do you look at to see how well a player's doing? Um, do you look at Matt Carpenter's current, uh, I don't have the number in front of me, but current 400 or so OPS? Or 426. 426. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, or do you look at maybe that 
his expected OPS coming into tonight was closer to a thousand. He is actually the largest gap between actual and expected uh, WOBA, at least, on StatCast at the moment of anybody with that many plate appearances. Um, and it's quite a large gap. I mean, we're talking it's close to five or 600 points of OPS, like nearly two and a half times as large as it should be. Um, entering today's game, the expected stats say that Matt Carpenter should be hitting around 260 with an on-base percentage of around 360 and a slugging around 630. Um, the 630 itself is one and a half times as large as his OPS. And that doesn't include the on-base percentage of 360, which would be right around his career average. Um, and I think it's 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 kind of hard to tell. What do you do, Dan? Do you look more at the actual, the expected, a combination thereof? What are you thinking? I mean, I, I think there's a lot to say about is he is he putting good a good barrel on the baseball and is he doing it really often? And I think you started to see some of his luck turn. And then when you don't see that kind of uptick, I guess you know analysts, fans, they start to wonder: Is the expected ever going to happen? And we've seen it before, and that's just part of part of the really the the good and the bad and the ugly of baseball is that you you just kind of have to wait for things, but. As you just noted, you know, 13 games into the season, coming into the night's game, they were scoring five runs a game on average, and the rotation's not getting that many innings. But it just seems like a game of inches is really becoming that kind of a kind of a, a constraint for the Cardinals. Like if a few more things go their way, is their record, you know, is it even is it a couple more games better, a couple even more than that? Mm-hmm. Or is there a real problem with this team? So it, it, I think it's it's that waiting game. I think it's a very interesting conversation to have about what game number do you go, okay, what's working, what's not. I've always kind of thought, for me, that game number is number 30. Because at 30 games, you're a good chunk into the season. You've seen a lot. You have at least maybe a, a little bit more than a month's stats to look at, maybe a month and a half. I think game number 30 is where Mike Schilt and we'll have to kind of take a hard look at this lineup and all the components of it and see if there could be a shakeup in order. But I think game 30 is where I want to look at it, but it seems like this season and maybe it's going to be 25 or 22. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I was somebody, I actually waited longer than that. Typically, usually I didn't really look at standings much until about game 40, um, about a quarter of the way through the year. Yeah. Um, that kind of gives you you time to get, you know, that's, oh, mental math at an, this time of night. Um, that's eight, that's yeah. like seven, <laughs> eight times through the rotation, you know, um, gives all your starters mm-hmm. basically two months to get it under control or a month and a half to two months to get it under control. Um, I think we're going to see this weekend that Kwon Young Kim is coming back, um, taking Daniel Ponce de Leon's spot. Uh, that was tomorrow's game, I believe. Um, and that, you know, we've already seen with Lane Thomas, we've already seen some injuries. And so I don't believe that the Cardinals are waiting 10 to 15 games, much less 22 or 30 or 40. Um, I think the Cardinals are going to be kind of on it this year. And, and that is kind of surprising to me, actually, with how conservative 
conservatively yeah. typically play things. Um, all right, so let's let's shift a little bit to lineup, just because I know you and I have talked for about a week about having this podcast about lineups, and that's because I think I probably started it. I I got pretty frustrated. I want to say it was game four or five when Matt Carpenter started at second base for the first time. And it wasn't the fact that Matt Carpenter was starting at second base. I love me some Matty C. I love him even more when he's hitting well. And the expected stats to go back to that say he is hitting the ball very well, while his actual stats say that he is hitting the ball poorly. Um, But I feel like Mike Schiltz, much like the previous manager, oftentimes goes with veterans over youth uh, to his detriment. I feel like the plan all offseason was give this young outfield time to do what they do. And you've got Harrison Bader out. You had O'Neill Carlson and Williams. You had Thomas, who didn't even make the opening day roster. You had Dean, who's not terribly young, and Nagowski, who's even older than that. But but you you win your first game of the year in Cincinnati, and then you lose two because the pitching is absolutely horrendous. And then you play an infielder in the outfield to get a guy who hasn't hit for two years onto the field who is also in his last year of his contract and is 36 years old, I believe Matt Carpenter is. And I feel like the patience was one series this year, which just was mind blowing to me. Um, Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's always wondered to me the, the connection between like John Mazzella, Michael Gersh, Mike Schilt, is there kind of like, I've always questioned the Cardinals on what is your plan? Are you really going to, because as you, you know, you can't get answers from a player like Tyler O'Neill unless you just say, Tyler, left field is going to be yours for a month. And I mean the whole month. I mean, unless you give somebody like, the, unless you give Elaine Thomas that kind of time, unless you give an Austin Dean that kind of time, you, you're not going to find out what they can do. I don't think – I think some problems with, with players is that they, they need that repetition. Like, look at Justin Williams. He's gotten the rep, He's gotten the reps. He's been out there starting just about – he's probably been one of the most prevalent – Hope, you know, lineup guys there is. And at first he looked a little more hopeless, but then as the barrel on the ball got a little better and then he got more lucky and then he's, it's all mixing together, but that's because he's been playing. I mean, with some guys, he just doesn't seem to give them that slack. And then with a guy like Justin Williams, who was just nowhere to be seen due to injury and, and whatnot. Now he is just out there a hundred percent. So I want to know why push more, if way if Tyler O'Neill, if everybody was healthy, why do you push on this guy more and not even look at these two guys? I really want to know what they're um, I'm trying to come up with the word, the way they kind of grade their outfield, how they decide who starts and who doesn't. I'd like to know how they think that into the starting lineup. Yeah, just the general processes that they go through, I guess, would be would be interesting yeah. to be a fly on that wall, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> for one day. <laughs> oh, I would I would love it every day. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Can you imagine, Ben, if, if you get to pick, okay, you get one day a year to be a fly on the wall with Mo 
and Gersh and Schilty after a six-game losing streak. And I just let me be in there for the full hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Uh, yeah, that oh, would be man. yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, same thing after, like, a six-game winning streak. You know, I want to see how, yeah, how do exactly. they ride the highs and the lows type of thing, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, does just, just, just Mo just sit there and go, well, maybe we may win again. You know, I, I, I just, I, I, I want to be in there. We need a Cardinals documentary. 30 at 30. Of <laughs> Behind the scene. 30 for 30. Just follow Mo for like a week. <laughs> I have a feeling it might get boring, you know. I, that, that, it it my, would, you know, my. like, what are you, are you watching Stranger Things, Mo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but you're right, though, about this line. I mean, I, I, I want to know. Like okay, so the so right now the Cardinals they're six and seven, and I think Bernie Miklas said it today on the radio. He's like they're lucky, you know, coming in a day they're lucky to be six and six. It's like with everything that's really gone wrong. I remember I think it was I'm trying to think it was '97. They started off zero and six. I think it was just a, a terrible start to the season, and if that had happened this year, that would have been like terrible doom and gloom, but. Even after tonight's disappointing loss, I mean the the Phillies got yeah, two teams coming in the game with six and six records. I feel like the Cardinals can still get their act together, but you know, as we both know, April turns to May, and then all of a sudden it's June. So I'm with you. I think the 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 slack on the rope for everybody in this team is going to be a lot shorter this year. The more we the more we think about it. All right, so speaking of writing the highs and lows, I looked up the tweet again, and the one that, that kind of this this com- this this podcast of, of talking lineups hinged on was, you said, Cardinals lineup idea. Edmund, Dean, Arenado, Goldschmidt, Carlson, Molina, DeYoung, outfielder, and pitcher, basically. Um, and both Brad Range and I chimed in on, on Dean second, really pretty much was our general gist. And I think that that was kind of maybe a riding high moment for you, uh, because I believe that was the day after his two hit game. It was. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, I think that the conversation started out kind of just joking with you about that, but then it kind of built into how do you construct lineups, right? Um, I think you really want to move Goldschmidt down to third and Arenado to fourth. You'd like to see them in that more traditional role of where your big hitters hit. And, um, you know, me, me knowing sabermetrics, I, I realized that, I mean, there's not a huge difference between where guys hit, but, but I did want to talk a little bit about lineups and, and how that works. Um, am I correct with my assumptions? You'd like to see Goldie third, Arenado fourth? Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where if if you get into like game 30 and 35 and something's not working, maybe you do that kind of like that, not really a seismic shift, but you kind of push those two guys back. Maybe even, I think I, I will fool the account right here on your podcast that I was writing in an Austin Dean high that day. He's, you know, he's crashing into home plate. His, he can't keep his helmet on his head. He's smashing a home run. He just looks like that. Are you going to like carry this team for six weeks? No, he did. He's not going to do that. So <laughs> now what I'm thinking more is if you do have, if you don't want to, I think, do you ever think about Carlson being the ideal number two hitter? Do you think they're just holding off, not one to overload him? 
or do you? I think it, at his peak level, which I know I'm not calling him the savior. We're not going to make his statue just yet. But I mean, I think can you imagine a Carlson, Goldschmidt, Arenado, or even switch those up, those last two guys? Do you think that would work, or do you think they want to keep him down that middle pack? Yeah, I think personally it would work. I. If I'm building the more traditional lineup where your best best hitters third, you know, think back to like the more of the LaRusse and, and and Albert Pujols days where best hitters hitting third. Yeah. You know, your your best hitters are really three, four, five, you know. Um, and then leadoff is some fast guy that can get on base, which we have in Tommy Edmond, at least right now. And Two seems for Tony LaRusso to be that rotating cast of guys that you just want to start them hitting really, really well, right? Like ride them while they're hot types. Um, and Dylan Carlson could fit that role. I mean, right now he's crushing the baseball. He's got an 880-ish OPS. Um, he's not getting on base at a huge clip. Um, entering today, he was fourth on the team in getting on base. So, I mean, having that in front of Goldschmidt and Arnato would be very good. Um, so when I talk lineups, I like talking about having this top five. Um, I feel like you, you almost need five guys, one through five. And in, in, even if you're six through eight or six through nine is, is not great that if you have five guys that can really carry you with the pitching, I anticipated the Cardinals having not the starting pitching they're giving us, but with the with the pitching that I anticipated the Cardinals having, I thought if you could have five guys at the top of the order be really good for you. I'm not talking Albert Poole, Scott Rowland, Jim Edmonds good. Um, <laughs> I'm probably not even talking like Larry Walker, Carlos Beltran, Lance Berkman good. Although you'd expect Goldie and Arnato to be in that range. But... Um, but if, if they were good, you know, I mean, let's look at it this way. The last, so I looked up some stats from 2012 to 2020. We're talking a good nine seasons, well, eight and a third seasons there, okay, that leadoff hitters in baseball had a 330 on base and 740 OPS. Second hitters had a 330 okay. on base and 755 OPS. Three hitters had a 350 on base, a 460 slugging, and, and an 810 OPS. Four hitters had like a 335 on base, 460 slugging, and nearly nearly 800 OPS. Not quite. And then five hitters had a 320 on base, a 435 slugging for a 755 OPS. So I mean, that, we're talking two guys around 800, two guys around 755, and a guy around 740. I was thinking the Cardinals could probably have that quite easily. Um, at least four of the five. And I couldn't figure out who two of those four might be. I knew, uh, I figured on Arenado, I figured on Goldie. I figured Edmund could give you that 330 on base out of the leadoff hole. Hopefully get to that 740 yeah. range, but maybe, maybe not. You kind of hoped on Carlson. You know, being a seven one like the seven fifty five guy, one of the two seven fifty five guys, um, and then I wasn't sure where they'd get it, but I figured giving that much playing time to the outfielders, you could maybe get it from one of the other two. Um, and if not, Paul DeYoung has done similar to that in the past, although not last year. And so I thought you had 
some pretty good bets of maybe getting, you know, one out of four guys to do that for you somewhere. Um, and just writing the hot guy at the time. And obviously they haven't gotten that yet, but you know, that, that they had a chance to be that kind of offense that could have top five hitting I don't know, hitters. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I'm wording that poorly, but, but it hasn't come. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah. Because you know, you, you got to think. You get one through five, and even if, like you said, six through nine is not as sharp, one's going to come back around pretty quick. I mean, especially if six through nine, one of those guys can get you a hit and extend and keep the merry-go-round going. I mean, really, what you could look at as the ideal one through five. You know, if we were talking about before, Edmund Carlson. You get Goldschmidt or Arnado. You, you even putting Carlson at number five. Like if you switched out of the lineup, if you just put Carpenter down to the lower part of the order and let DeYoung and Carpenter work their stuff out and sneak up Carlson behind Molina right now, even if you wanted to, because you know Yadi can't leave the cleanup spot until he goes like over forty. <laughs> but I mean, you have it's just a funny thing right now. We were talking about it earlier how much time. But it seemingly is that how much time do you wait for either Carpenter's luck to change or do you just have to get Carlson up into that top five permanently and just see how he does there? And But I also agree with what you said that we they kind of also expected maybe even a guy like Tyler O'Neill to maybe give you that 755, you know, especially with his slug. I mean, if you can just slug 460, 470. But I think the injury to him and also Bader – really short-circuited what I think Mike Schilt and his team wanted to do out there. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I, I do want to circle back around to those actual stats versus expected stats, though. As of right now, I think it's pretty clear that, that if it's up to Schilt, we've got a starting eight with a catcher, Yadier Molina, first base, Paul Goldschmidt, second base, Matt Carpenter, third base, Nolan Arenado, shortstop, uh, Paul DeYoung, Left field, Justin Williams, center field, um, Dylan Carlson, and right fielder of Tommy Edmond. I, I think that's his preferred lineup at the moment. Um, and, and I don't know that that's really disputable. I mean, they they sent Lane Thomas back down after four games um, so that they could play Edmond in the outfield. Um, John Nagowski has played in 10 games but has 11 plate appearances. They don't see him as anything more than a pinch hitter. Um, Austin Dean has nine games, but only 20 plate appearances. Um, so I'm thinking he may be a pinch hitter. Andrew Kisner's played five games with nine plate appearances. Sosa's played five games with seven plate appearances. Um, and so I think the starting eight right now are pretty clear in their minds as who they want to, to go with. Um, if you're looking at actual stats, uh, Dylan Carlson has an 879 OPS. That's one of those three or four hitters of the past nine years. Nolan Arnato has an 874 OPS. That's another one of those three or four hitters. Yadier Molina has an 862 OPS. That's another three or four hitter over the last several years. Um, Tommy Edmond is up to a uh, 785 OPS. Um, that is... I mean, if, if you're looking at those stats that I quoted earlier, that's still 
in between like your second and third best hitters on a average team, right? And, and we are talking about an average team. We're not talking about a World Series contender like the Dodgers or the Padres or you know, <laughs> one of those teams. That I, I don't believe <laughs> that any sane Cardinals fan thought that they were. But we're talking about an average team that can win the NL Central, which is decidedly below average. But the thing is, that gets back to, I think we have four hitters right now. Um, Paul Goldschmidt is not one of those by the actual numbers. By the actual numbers, he is sitting at just barely over a 600 OPS. Paul DeYoung is sitting at just under a 570 OPS. Justin Williams has bumped his up to just over 600 as well. And then Matt Carpenter is sitting at just under 430. Um, And I think we should make a contrast here, though. Again, I, I looked up these stats before today's game, and so I have outdated stats by, you know, five hours or whatever it is. But, <laughs> Four bats. Yes, but by the, by the eight guys we're talking about as being starters, here are the expected OPSs based on how they've hit the ball. Now, I do want to go into explaining this a little bit. So expected OPS are not projections, okay? So this isn't me sitting behind my computer. This isn't um, anybody... Uh, any projection system. This isn't Dan Zimborski or whoever does steamer or anything sitting behind their projection systems and just spitting out numbers uh, that, that a lot of people don't believe in. Um, What this is, is this takes into account balls that were hit over years and years and years at specific launch angles at specific exit velocities. Okay. Um, So this is if Matt Carpenter pulls a ball at a hundred miles an hour to right field as a left-handed hitter. And he hits it at 25 degrees. It's going to spit out an expected batting average from that based on, uh, and as Derek Gould explained it, and I'm not sure this is correct, but as Gould explained it on the BPIB best podcast in baseball, that he believes it does take into account for expected batting average, that ballpark. Um, and so, you know, if, if his expecting batting average is 800 on a ball like that, okay, to right center field, then that means that it's 80% of the time it's, it's a single, double, triple, or homer. Um, and his expected slugging is whatever it is. So let's say that on that ball, his expected slugging is, is 2.20. That would mean that he's expected to get a hit 80% of the time, and he's expected to get just over two bases on average on that. So we'd expect probably a double on that ball. Well, what we've, and and what they do is they, they take all those and put all those together. And they also add in the expected batting average on base and slugging of walks and strikeouts and ground outs in every single play. What Matt Carpenter had, as I mentioned earlier, was a 995 expected OPS. That would not only be the best of his career, and and actually, it was actually 1,052, but I adjusted numbers down a little bit because, um, as I found out, um, with the new baseball, they, they have not changed their expected stats at all. So their expected OPS right now over on StatCast is 57 points higher than the league's actual OPS. 
So what I did was I took their expected numbers and I basically scaled them to what the league average is. So I lowered those a little bit just to make this seem fair because the Cardinals don't have five guys that are going to have an 850 plus OPS. Okay. Um, so Matt Carpenter's, we'll call it an adjusted expected OPS, is 995. Goldschmidt's is 867. Molina's is 835. Arenado's is 823. And Williams's is 801. And that's before the home run tonight. Um, Carlson, who's got like an 880 actual OPS or whatever it is now, um, after tonight it is... 879, his adjusted expected one coming into the game was only 704. So we could say that he's been getting a bit lucky compared to his balls on play. Tommy Edmonds was 689. So also seemingly getting a bit lucky potentially. Um, And Paul DeYoung's was unfortunately for him about where it really is. It's 687. And so that would give you five guys that you would want at the top of the order. But the problem with that is if, if you look at their actual stats, I mean, Carpenter's is 500 points lower of OPS. Goldschmidt's is 250 lower. Williams is 200 lower. And so these five guys that the expected stats say, you know, Carpenter, Goldie, Molina, Arenado, and Williams, these expected stats are guys where, well, honestly, you only expected two of them to be hitting in your top five to begin the year. And, Based on actual stats, it's not even one of those. Goldie wouldn't be, and Molina would be. And and so, I mean, is Arenado your only guy? Or do you have Molina being a guy that you're saying, yeah, this 800 OPS plus is for real? Because that's what the expected stats say, and that's what the real stats say. Um. And that's, I think, where where all the lineup consternation comes from, um, is that you've got a team, you've got a very savvy team in the St. Louis Cardinals, whether you want to believe that or not, that looks at actual stats, looks at also how they're hitting the ball, looks at the expected stats based on how they're hitting the ball, and they've got to be having this internal conflict. You know, Carlson is not hitting fourth in the order like his actual stats would say, but his expected stats are showing that Edmundo Sosa and Andrew Kisner are even hitting the ball better than he is when they hit it. Um, And so it gets real interesting in a hurry if if you try to take a look at it through all the different lenses, I feel. All right, I just went on a yeah, long, con- long conversation with myself. No, hey, that, that, that was good. Hey, hey I, I think if, if if they're listening to this, they're gonna go. Mo will go. Man, he figured us out. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I also think I think there's gonna be a kicker. I think what, what they're maybe waiting for, especially with Carpenter and with the guards in the lineup, maybe when O'Neill starts to get ready to return, when Bader starts to get. I mean, even even in even in a month, maybe they give that. Maybe when the outfield starts to get shaken, because when those two guys get back and healthy, especially Bader, you know, things are going to move around a little bit unless all three of those guys are just cranking. And that's probably not going to be the case. So I I think that could be a good kicker as far as when, I mean, not just a little bit of a shift, but maybe if it's not going right, that's when you really shift things around. You just move, move, move the deck chairs and, you know, to opposite side of the ship (laughs) or do something. But, 
other than that, I think they're going to do what, you, what you're talking about, man. I think they're going to side with, with the, the ex, you know, maybe some expected stats, wait for Carpenter's luck to change because he, he's putting some good barrel on the, on the ball. I mean, if he wasn't doing that, it would just be hopeless, but you have to trust that. I mean, I think with even what we've seen in recent years, you can't just disregard it. And especially it's only April 16th. It's, 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 see, with this team, it feels like the amount of games they played, you have to twice, you have to like basically multiply it by two. And that's how much, that's how many it feels like. So, so Matt Carpenter on the season, I'm, I'm just going to keep coming back to him because I think he is the dichotomy of the fan base, right? Like you've got the. He is. He is. He yeah. Really is. And, when Bader's not playing. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's even more extended this year because, um, Scarily enough, I'm looking at the actual stats right now. His WRC plus. So if you've heard of WOBA, uh, WOBA is basically scaled to the on-base percentage scale. So 330 is like average-ish. Um, 400 is fantastic. Um, to put it in perspective, Dylan Carlson with his current, what I'd say, 879 OPS has a 376 WOBA. Well, what WRC plus does is it takes it and scales it to league average. Uh, or sorry, scales it to a 100 being league average. And every point above or below that is a percent better than league average or a percent worse than league average. Well, Dylan Carlson's currently at a 138. So he's been 38% better than league average by this WOBA scale. Uh, Nolan Arenado's 135 along with Yadier Molina. So the top three hitters in the Cardinals order are 35 to 38% better than league average. Well, Matt Carpenter has the best expected on base or OPS on the team. As I've said multiple times now, he is sitting at a 21 WRC plus. So we're talking 79% worse than league average results. And that's the thing. We're talking results here. What's actually happened on the field in terms of how the opposing team has done defending him versus Years and years of data of what should be happening based on how he's hitting it. Now, here's what I wanted to bring up with that, though. I think this year is a very strange year to be looking with that. Most years are early in the year. I believe Zach Gifford and I were talking about this on Twitter about um, ten, nine months ago in July when last season started. Because <laughs> oh, wow. XWA and WOBA are kind of strange early in the year. Um, I believe what StatCast's website, Baseball Savant, does is they rely on previous year's data because they don't have any that year yet uh, at the beginning of the year, and then they adjust their constants as they go, whereas I think Fangraphs seems to be better about, um, potentially better about adjusting constants earlier than Baseball Savant is. And so you get these wide gaps to start the year, and then by the end of the year, it's always really close. So, for example, last year, um, Major League Baseball switched to this Hawkeye system of tracking balls, right? They went from TrackMan cameras to Hawkeye cameras, basically, uh, to make it as simple and probably slightly off as possible. Um, Last year, Hawkeye underestimated batting average by .001, right? So by one point of batting average. They underestimated slugging by 0.005 or five points of batting average. Uh, the on-base percentages were exactly equal. 
and their expected WOBA, they overestimated by 0.002. So they were very, very close on all those. This year, batting average is is currently being overestimated by 14 points along with on-base percentage. Slugging is being overestimated by 43 points, which is why when I gave you those expected numbers earlier, I adjusted them down by 57 points because on-base by 14, slugging by 43, OPS just adds those two. Um, That means WOBA and XWOBA are off by 18 points right now. Um, And so part of that is because... MLB came out and said they're going to try these new baseballs this year. Um, Justin Choi over at Fangraphs and Ben Clemens over at Fangraphs, they've looked at what they could figure out from the baseball, which actually wasn't all that much. Um, Eno Saris has an article on The Athletic titled More Drag But More Bounce. Um, And that's kind of the gist of what's happening so far is the new baseball seems to be getting harder. Um, At last check, it was about 1.5% harder exit velocities off the bat. But the problem is that the harder hit balls are actually traveling less distance in the air on line drives and fly balls. Um, And so I think early I have been, and I'm going to just admit to my own faults here, I have been wowed and probably over vocal on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you find me about how hard Cardinals have been hitting the ball and how, how much they seem to be, you know, getting frustrated and how frustrated I'm getting by all these balls that they're hitting that should be this or should be that. Um, And, and to maybe tone it down a little early this year, just because of how far off everything is with this new baseball that, that these, these balls that are getting hit one and a half percent harder, but aren't even traveling as far. Something's going on there. And, uh, obviously Hawkeye hasn't figured it out yet because they're going off old data, um, to see what should happen. Uh, go ahead and chime on in there. No, I mean, I, I think it's with the car. I think it's going to be a waiting game because like you said, a lot of the, the stats kind of support that, you know, th- things are possibly going to be putting pointing in the right direction. It's just the, the patience is going to be interesting because we're, we're only what 13 games into this season, Ben. And, and I think Twitter is at like an all time fiery hot. <laughs> I, I think right around the lineup comes out. That's when it starts. I think for the first few hours in the morning, in the afternoon, people are calm. And then the, the lineup comes out and it just go, everything goes crazy. I, I I'm I'm trying to be as patient as, as as one can be, but I always find that good or good or bad baseball gives gives, gives me something to write about. Hopefully, <laughs> with the Cardinals, will be a little bit more a little bit more uh, optimism because they seem to be able to put it together for a, a, a game or two. I mean, but like we saw with the big rampage with 14 runs, then you had Flaherty struggling to give you innings, so. You wonder when when is the pitching, when is the hitting, when is the bullpen, when is it all going to come together, yeah. and hopefully it's going to come together soon. Yeah, you, you'd hope it, it's got to be getting getting close to coming together. Um, so I haven't talked any expected stats on the pitching side yet, and that's because it basically it does not paint any prettier a picture than <laughs> than what we're already talking about. Um, so. The Cardinals pitchers have given up a 340 WOBA right now. Um, 
Again, we've talked about how the expected stats are not quite exactly right right now, but uh, according to Statcast, that those numbers should be worse, um, and that that's a little frightening when you when you look at it that way. That those numbers should be a little worse. Um, now it says they should be about twenty four points worse. Which remember we adjusted OPA, WOBA by eighteen points, so it's saying that it could be about six points worse than that. That that we probably should be allowing a higher on a uh, higher batting average and higher slugging. And again, we're going to go back to the defenses. If if we keep getting the defense we're getting, we might see a higher batting average and a higher slugging really soon because um, it's been not pretty there um all right so i did want to i can't find it now i was going to look at the game logs for pitchers but who do you think's going to be the one to step it up and give us those innings that we need um do you think i mean let, let's run it down so kim tomorrow do we expect kim coming off an injury to step up and give us enough innings you know, I think for for Kim, I mean, just going back, you want to hope for what Martinez gave with less runs. If he gives the Cardinals five innings and even gives gives the, the Phillies around three runs, looks strong. I mean, five innings right now consistently would be like a great point to start. And then hopefully you stretch out the six. I think you want to look for Flaherty to kind of lead the way. I think if he's going to be the ace, he has to dictate – that turnaround. He has to show that he can go not just, okay, he's going to go from four to eight innings in a start, but, you know, give the Cardinals six to seven. And then I think the rest of the guys in the rotation will follow suit. But right now, even five and two thirds, you know, like that late career Jose De Leon special <laughs> where you just knew he was going to get booed out early, but he lasts five and two thirds. You just want to see these guys get – Get it to this. Get it, you know, into the sixth somehow, and then you don't have to worry about. It. I mean, just imagine being Mike Schilt and and Maddox. You have to think, okay, we have to fill almost half the game has to be the bullpen on yeah. average right now, yeah. and that can't continue. I mean, because like you said, even when at a glimpse you'll think the offense is kind of lagging coming into tonight's game, they were not. They were averaging five runs, so the pitching is going to have to lead the way for this team. I think when the pitching stabilizes, like you said, the defense follows that, and then the offense will start, everything start to drop, things can start moving. But if you have the pitchers, you know, giving you four and two-thirds to five innings at, at, at the most, I mean, that's just problematic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I kind of am in agreement. I mean, KK last year pitched – uh, he had seven starts, and in those seven starts went 38 innings. So we're looking at five and two-thirds there. If he can give us five and two-thirds tomorrow, I think that's probably asking too much, the game coming off an injury. But if he can give us five, maybe. But then the problem yeah. comes in Gant. Um, I, I really do like Gant as a starter. I think he could be a four or five starter in the league. Um, but you're probably looking at a cap of five and a third or five and two thirds there unless, you know, unless chips all fall right. And so that's the Sunday game. So you're looking to going into Monday, hopefully, hopefully with 15 innings between the three starters this weekend in Philadelphia again. Um, and that would be another, what, somewhere between nine and 12 innings out of the bullpen if we don't go extras and, <laughs> And, you know, uh, and so 
Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe that that it's it might have to be Jack and Adam that that just step up and say, okay, we're gonna do, yeah, we're really. gonna do two games where we're gonna give the we're gonna give the bullpen 13, 14 innings in these two games, and you guys are down to four or five over a two game stretch. Yeah, I mean you. They're just going to have to, I mean, they, and one night somebody's just going to have to wear it. They're just going to have to, if they get beat up early, they're just going to have to stay out there. Like just take one, I mean, at least go five or six. Yeah, it's going to hurt your ERA, but yeah, I mean, Wainwright, you know, who, who just can look steady and then a couple of things don't go his way. But then that, that was what for, for Martinez tonight for right now, Ben, I think this team should be terrified of a long extra inning game. Yeah. <laughs> even with the, uh, you know, even with, you know, I mean, imagine if things got stretched out and they just had to burn through or they may have to just empty off the whole Sage pitching unit and just bring everybody up. So the starters, I think they have to lead the way, man. I mean, I, I think when they start to give innings and then the coaching staff might loosen up a little bit and go, we don't have to worry about staging, you know, a four and a half bullpen stint here. They can worry about possibly other things. I think the coaching staff, especially Shilton Maddox, are just fried from having to decide which bullpen guy is going to go out first. Yeah. Uh, well, you just terrified me by talking about a long extra inning game right now. Um, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I mean, one one of those, like, not even 17. Let's not even think about that. Even like a 12, yeah. even like a 13. I mean, imagine, you know, that they'd have to just burn through at least a couple long guys. And so, I mean, really to prevent that, you, the starters just have to keep. I mean, even again, five, five and two thirds, five between five and six innings, even if you're getting clipped for four in one or two of those, that's still giving the team innings. It's taken you know, weight off your bullpen, which is going to really mean a lot when it comes to like late July, August, September, when you're going to need all those, those very important arms to do their jobs in the bullpen. So this is maybe the first time ever that I've been in favor of the runner starting on second base. Um, because, <laughs> because now in extra innings, because now I'm a little less worried when I remembered that that was a thing. Um, but, yeah. but no, I still don't like that anyway. Um, so let's, uh, let's kind of end the baseball talk with that. Uh, I know it's a little bit on a downer, but, um, the way the Cardinals are playing right now, I feel that's, uh, kind of what they're deserving of. So l- let's talk to some maybe out of towners coming into St. Louis later this spring to come back to the ballpark and, get into the stands for the first time in a couple of years. So maybe they're staying at the Drury Inn or Red Roof Inn right off uh, Highway 44 in Hampton, right near where my dad grew up. Um, so they're staying there at a hotel. Where are you driving them to for, for lunch before the game there, Dan? Oh, man, there's so many options right there by Hampton and 44 where they have like seven hotels, it seems like. But – I mean, you have the hill basically right in your backyard there. So you can, you know, the hill is great because you can do a whole thing there. Okay, so what if they say past is a little too heavy for this, uh, before this day game? Where where are you taking them next? Then you do, then you go to Adriana's on the hill and you get a half a sandwich and a salad because they give you that perfect Italian salad. They give you the cheese and, and, and they layer in everything else. And then you get that, that half a sandwich. They're going to use that French bread. 
So, I mean, that that's just – that's the lighter option. Yes, pasta is heavy, especially before a day game where it's just you're going to – you're going to feel like lasagna by the sixth <laughs> inning. So, but I mean, and, and really you can also, you know, run down to salt and smoke and do like a little, to try a little bit of barbecue, especially the, they're, it's crazy to recommend pulled chicken sandwich at salt and smoke, but that's my favorite sandwich there. But there's so many things up and down Hampton. You have JJ twigs, good pub food okay, so, you have edibles and essentials so help me yeah. help me rank this um so i would say pappy's is probably the best barbecue i've been to in st louis but i have been quite spoiled oh, it's really i've been good. quite spoiled here in kansas city with barbecue um but okay so three i haven't been to that i've told have to be on my list um so rank these three for me if you've been there so salt and smoke obviously you've been to bogart's um and then adam's smokehouse Oh man, Adam's Smokehouse is probably the most uh, consistent. I haven't been to Bogarts enough, but I've heard some really good things. They're right down there, in, right in the heart of Soulard. I mean, you, you you're right in the middle of everything, right there, especially with bars and, and just the you know, the and atmosphere. That's your party and, bus over to the game. Oh yes, you can. Yeah, I mean, there's like three party buses going from Soulard to that ballpark. You know, Salt and Smoke. I'm not as Big of a, as a fanatic as uh, on that as usually people from around here are. I've had almost every location, and it's good barbecue. It's just it's not like I walk away going, "Holy smokes, I, I need a I need I need a smoker." You know, I mean, the the one place that really gets un, not talked about enough is Smoking Barrels. They're right off Kings Highway, more south Kings Highway. They're kind of a hole in the wall, but. Everything on that menu is great. They give you a ton. The quality's there. So Adams is probably my pick out of that three. But if you want kind of a secret weapon, kind of an Okendo barbecue place, it's going to be uh, Smoking Barrels. Fair enough. So I, I'm going to throw my weight behind Pappy's because it's the only one we've mentioned. But uh, here, Pappy's here's, is so good. Here's my They're- Pappy's story. So uh, me, my wife, and my buddy go to Pappy's one time. It's his... Uh, at least six, at least seven years ago, because my oldest son wasn't, or my oldest, my son was not born yet. So um, we go there, and of course, it's it's one of those hour long lines because it's delicious and it's good barbecue. And we're about eight or ten from the front of the line, looking over the menu. And one of the guys from the back, I, I don't know if it was manager or owner, comes out. And just starts asking the line, hey, what you get? Hey, what you get? And my wife's like, I don't know yet. I'm debating between this and this. And he goes, oh, you're not debating anymore. So he walks back to the back and gets her one of the ribs and says, okay, just try this. And it won't be a debate anymore. And needless to say, she got the ribs because the one that they brought out was not nearly enough. And so uh, the ribs there are to die for. They are fantastic. Um they rank right up there. Yeah. They rank right up there with the best here in Kansas city of any other ribs. I've gotten. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a Pappy story too. And, uh, three years ago, uh, a, a director came into town and usually the marketing company tries to set up the critics and the director or the, or the star at, at a, at a popular restaurant. And it was, of course, Pappy's was the director's choice. And it was a uh, Sean Anders. He did this movie called Instant Family with Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne. He did all the Daddy's Home movies. 
he's kind of a comedy uh, director. And then we found out later on after the interview that it was the second time in 24 hours he had been to Pappy's. He came in <laughs> when he got into town, and he had already been there once that previous night. And he's like, he wanted to go back the next afternoon oh, for fantastic. the interview. I mean, it's just and, – and you go in there – Ben, it's it's an institution. I mean, the move, things people are moving around. The the you know the orders are going out. It's 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 a frenzy. It's like a it's like a well oiled machine. It's like the early years of McDonald's where they everything was just moving in like sequence. It's <laughs> it was the machine like, but yeah, he the director had eaten there twice in twenty four hours. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So <laughs> I, I think my my best. I've probably got like my two favorite like just absolute indulging myself stories like that. But one in Kansas city <laughs> here, when I first moved here, uh, my sister and her then boyfriend, now husband came to town and we did a barbecue weekend. Um, we literally went out to, it was cards Royals weekend. So they came in for the Cardinals games and also to go to just as many barbecue places as we could. So we went to one place Friday night, um, one place Saturday before the day game. Uh, we were dead to the world at that day game. Uh, and then one place, <laughs> then one place for dinner. Um, and then they had to get a, get out of town on Sunday. Um, and so we, we did hit one more. We, we were all hurting. We, we decided that we, we were going to go because we had planned it. Um, but I made sure to save Arthur Bryant's for Sunday because, um, Arthur Bryant's was one of my favorites. Uh, it's just consistently some of the best barbecue mm -hmm. I've ever eaten in my life. And, and I think my sister and her husband uh, were quite glad that, uh, I had saved Arthur Bryant's for last because they probably, they, they <laughs> the were like, we, we've had enough. I don't <laughs> think we're going to eat any more barbecue. And I said, well, you actually might eat this, even though you are super hungry or aren't super hungry. Um, and then my other, is a St. Louis experience. So um, this was probably my favorite food day ever in St. Louis. We went to O'Connell's for lunch before a baseball game. Uh, O'Connell's pub right Perfect. there off the hill. Um, fantastic burgers. It's a little Irish bar that has the best burger, consistently the best burger I've had in my life. Um, Thick too. Thick burger. Yep. And then we went to... Uh, Ted Drew's for an afternoon snack, of course. And then for dinner that night, uh, went down to Johnny's in Soulard and had, I don't know if you've had the wing appetizer there, but the wings there are my, oh, my, the my favorite wings in the world. So between having all three of those, same things, here, all three of those things in one day, um, basically made my entire week. Um, so it was fantastic. It was also my calories yeah, I mean, for the yeah, entire yeah. week, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you basically were on a, a diet of kale and uh, radishes the rest of the week. But no, I mean, I I, I, been, I went to Johnny's when they were down in Sular. I went there at least twice, twice per Cardinal season. Sometimes you know twice in a month, just because the wings. You know, it's a twenty year old recipe. They double fry them. They were never bad. I mean, you go there. The rest of the menu is kind of like a Cyborgs ripoff in a way. But the wings are just perfect. And I used to go to games with my former boss, now my friend. We would do the whole Soulard experience before a baseball game to basically where you were almost not drunk, but you were almost there before the first pitch. And then you would kind of sober up on the walk 
and then you would have, you know, some food. And then after the game, you just fall back to Johnny's and eat as many wings until, you know, you were almost <laughs> like on Terry Francona's Boston Red Sox team, oh. but not quite. And then but, they had I to mean, wheel. just some of the best wings. Had to wheel you home. All right. I mean, it's just so good because you don't know when to stop with wings. You go, well, there's two there, and they're not going to be good in tomorrow. You got to finish them. Yeah, it's 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 all in basically with Johnny's. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, I have kept you here long enough today. Uh, I, I appreciate <laughs> on uh, this late after the game on Friday night out in Philadelphia. So um, I, I definitely appreciate having you on. Uh, thank you, and it was great talking to you. Uh, I, I've only gotten to have you on, well, once on this show, but I, I got to talk to you once earlier this off season on a different person's show. And, and so I definitely wanted to have you on and I'll definitely have you back. So thanks for having, or thanks for coming and, uh, and uh, represent South city. Well, I'm several hundred miles away, so that won't work for me. And, uh, <laughs> I will, man. I will. You, uh, you take care, Ben. All right. Uh, for birds on the black for Dan Buffa and for myself, uh, this has been, the 11th episode of conversations with Saruti and uh, until next time, have a great week or month or however long it is. Bye guys.